You are listening to the Horse Radio Network, part of the Equine Network family. It's a great way to to be connected with the sport that we love and and get to see, you know, I am, have been really lucky to get to do, you know, a number of really big events, Olympic Games, Pan American Games, World Championships, World Cup Finals, and you know, I get to see the best horses and riders in the world competing, and there's nothing better than that. And then I get to talk about them and really say whatever I want. So that's also kind of fun. Welcome to the Practical Horseman podcast, featuring conversations with respected riders, industry leaders, and horse care experts. The show is co-hosted by Practical Horseman editors, and our goal is to inform, educate, and inspire. I'm Sandy Olenek, and this week's episode is with Charlotte Skinner-Robson, a longtime announcer at the Kentucky three-day event. As I mentioned to Charlotte when asking her about the podcast interview, I had been hearing her announce at Kentucky for many years. Then, when I was at a U.S. hunter-jumper annual meeting, I heard her talking in a committee meeting. It took me a few minutes to place her voice, but then the light bulb finally went off. Since then, I've been intrigued about her background in show jumping, yet announcing at such a big three-day event as Kentucky. During our conversation, Charlotte and I, of course, talk about Kentucky, as well as announcing in general. In addition to Kentucky, she has announced at the 1996 Atlanta Olympics, three FEI World Cup Finals in Dressage, the World Equestrian Games in Kentucky in show jumping and eventing, and the two Pan American Games in all three disciplines. As with many things in life, there's a lot more to announcing than you might think, which we dive into. In addition to announcing, Charlotte wears many hats in the industry, one being a licensed official for both the FEI and U.S. Equestrian Federation. These include serving as an FEI Level 3 Jumper Judge and a USEFR Big R Jumper Judge. She also has her FEI Level 1 Steward License, is a Certified Jumper Schooling Supervisor, and is a clinician for the USHGA Jumper Judges Clinics. Another role for Charlotte is Competition Manager. She was a senior member of the management team at the 1992 FEI World Cup Final in Del Mar, California. She managed the FEI North American Youth Championships in 1998, 2000, and 2008, and the Colorado Summer Circuit in Parker, Colorado from 1993 to 2010. Currently, she serves as LEG Shows and Events Operations Manager and Competitions Manager for all of the hunter-jumper shows at the Colorado Horse Park, which she has done since 2020. Finally, Charlotte is very involved in sports governance. She is the chair of the USEF Awards Committee and serves on its International Disciplines Council and Jumping Sports Committee. She is USHGA Vice President on its Board of Directors and Executive Committee and is chair of the USHGA Jumper Working Group. Charlotte and I touch on all of these roles. What I love about our chat is her behind-the-scenes snapshots of all of these different facets of the industry. Before getting into the discussion with Charlotte, I'd like to share a word from this episode's sponsor, Purina Animal Nutrition. Level up your horse's performance this season with choices from Purina Animal Nutrition. From Purina Ultium Competition Formula to Purina Impact Pro Performance and everything in between, Purina has the right option for your horse, including supplements like Purina Super Sport Amino Acid Supplement, Purina Amplify High Fat Supplement, and Purina Outlast Gastric Support Supplement. There are many choices for optimal nutrition when you choose Purina, all backed by science. Level up your performance this season and put Purina's research to the test. Ask for Purina at your local feed retailer today. Now let's jump right into the conversation with Charlotte, where she talks about announcing at Kentucky and other big competitions. Before getting into the discussion with Charlotte, I'd like to share a word from this episode's sponsor, Purina Animal Nutrition. Level up your horse's performance this season with choices from Purina Animal Nutrition. From Purina Ultium Competition Formula to Purina Impact Pro Performance and everything in between, Purina has the right option for your horse, including supplements like Purina Super Sport Amino Acid Supplement, Purina Amplify High Fat Supplement, and Purina Outlast Gastric Support Supplement. There are many choices for optimal nutrition when you choose Purina, all backed by science. Level up your performance this season and put Purina's research to the test. Ask for Purina 
at your local feed retailer today. Now, let's jump right into the conversation with Charlotte, where she talks about announcing at Kentucky and other big competitions. I've um, been announcing there, I want to say, since I, I think, mm, I think my first time there was the year before the Atlanta Olympic Games. Uh, maybe it might have been two years before uh, the Atlanta Olympic Games. And and interestingly, Land Rover, then Rolex, was actually the first three-day event I have ever been to. Oh, um, wow. <laughs> I'd, I'd seen them sort of peripherally at the Young Rider Championships, but I was doing show jumping, um, you know, there. And, and, you know, it was happening at the same time. I wasn't really participating in it, except I did announce a little bit of the show jumping day um, for the eventing. But but actually, the first time I ever attended a, a three-day event was Land Rover, then Rolex. Oh, wow. <laughs> you just jumped right in. <laughs> sort of trial by fire, yes. Yeah, yeah. I did a lot of studying on eventing. I, I read their rule book, the FEI eventing rules, through like five times tried to get sort of the vernacular down so I would not sound like a complete show jumping person, but I still did. And people thought it was funny. They kind of enjoyed it. That's funny. Yeah. I think when I first started, my background's hunter jumper. And when I first started uh, working at Practical Horseman, I had to learn that they didn't really call events shows. And uh, that actually took me a long time to get that vernacular. Right. So Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. So, you know, I guess, what do you like about announcing in general and especially at such a big event like Kentucky? Well, you know, it's, it's really exciting. Number one, you get the best seat in the house um, to watch, uh, you know, some of the best horses in the world. And um, I, I just really enjoy it. It's, you can be pretty creative with announcing, you know, I think all announcers develop their own style. I definitely have a style that is not much like a lot of uh, the other eventing announcers, probably a little different than, than well, definitely a little different than other show jumping announcers as well. You know, we all develop our own style and people kind of get used to it and, and expect it, but it's just really, it's, it's a great way to to be connected with the sport that we love and, and get to see, you know, I am, have been really lucky to get to do, you know, a number of really big events, Olympic Games, Pan American Games, World Championships, World Cup Finals. And, you know, I get to see the best horses and riders in the world competing, and there's nothing better than that. And then I get to talk about them and really say whatever I want. So that's also kind of fun. Yeah, that's neat. Um, and how do you decide? You know, you talked about uh, sort of the the research you had done after uh, you know for your before your first Kentucky. What what goes into it before announcing for a competition? Well, you know, it's a lot that that I did a lot of rules research just so I would actually know, you know, what I was talking about, how the scoring worked, um, that kind of things, because that's a really a key component to announcing you know, to technical announcing for a sport, um, you can make quite a big difference in in how it's going if you say things incorrectly or mm -hmm. are not able to explain to those who are watching and frequently to those who are actually participating. In the case of show jumping, announcers frequently are in the position of having to explain, you know, briefly, succinctly, to the competitor who's in the ring, what actually may have just happened. And so you, you need to be quite familiar with the rules. Um, and aside from that, it, it's just doing a lot of homework and, you know, really knowing who's competing, the, the riders, the horses, you know, no, you don't need a huge amount of biographical information on all of them, but, you know, spectators, really like to know a little bit about, you know, who they're watching 
you know, some of the key events that they've participated in, that they may have won, a little bit of info on the horses, you know, their breeding, a little bit of breeding, age, that kind of thing. It, it just makes it, I think, more fun to watch for people. Yeah, definitely. Well, as, as I said, your, your, your voice definitely was in my memory for, uh, for Kentucky for all those years. So, um, <laughs> yeah. And I guess, do you have a, you know, a favorite or a memorable event while you were announcing um, or happening or, you know, just something that stands out in your mind, whether it was at Kentucky or one of these other uh, huge events like the Atlanta Olympics or, and you mentioned the Pan Am Games. So you've, you've been, been to the top. Well, you know, because it's so fresh in my mind, probably one of the most exciting things recently anyway, was um, just this past year at Land Rover when Tammy Smith and my bomb won. You know, it was the first win for the U.S., for a U.S. rider since 2008 at Land Rover. And, you know, she also, she's a Californian, so very dear to my heart. And she is such a, a wonderful person, not only a great horseman, she's just a kind, caring person. I don't know her really well, but in the few times I've met her, uh, she's just lovely. And, you know, so that that sort of stands out as being a real highlight, being able to be there when when she won. And it was very exciting. And, yeah. you know, all of all of the events have have something that stands out and, and makes them just really special, I think. Yeah. Yeah. That that was Kentucky was just amazing. Uh, it was it was so you know, you like all the competitors to do well, but I think we're all, at least the U.S. riders, we're all kind of U.S. spectators and all of us there were hoping she would uh, she would pull it out. And she did. Sure. And, you know, I've got to say, I think because of just comments that I heard from other riders there or from riders who were also competing there, you know, they were also rooting for her. She's just she's a good person. And you know, it's exciting for the U.S. to have won it. It's exciting for her with that horse that she's done so much with to win. And I think a lot of, of her fellow competitors were th just as thrilled for her uh, when yeah. she had that win. It was a great day for sure. Great week. Yeah, definitely. Um, this is kind of a nuts and bolts question, but how do you learn to pronounce all the names of the riders and the horses' names are very elaborate. They seem to be get, getting more elaborate. Uh, uh, yes, they of. are. <laughs> <laughs> you know, like every, I think everyone asks me that. Um, mm -hmm. And I, I have sort of, I, I speak a few languages and I have sort of a knack for learning languages, I learned a second language when I was pretty young, um, and and then when I was uh, in my early twenties, I moved to Mexico and lived there for a number of years, and learned that you know speak that language also. That was my third language, speak that fluently. But I just sort of have a knack for for languages. I think you develop that when you're if you learn a second language when you're quite young you sort of develop an aptitude for it. And it it makes it pretty easy for me to figure out pronunciation of names. Though I will say that sometimes, probably shouldn't say this, <laughs> now everyone <laughs> will know, sometimes I don't make it up. I really don't know. And I, I can make a, a pretty good guess, but I just say what I think it should be with conviction and with a little bit of an accent. and. I have people come up to me and say, you know, I never have, I've had this horse for two years and I never knew that was how you pronounced his name. Uh. <laughs> I'm like, oh yeah, sure. Yeah. That's it. That's yeah. Conviction. That sounds. <laughs> That's it. Say it with conviction and a little bit of an accent. People yeah. think I speak quite a few more languages than I actually do. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. That's great. Well, um, that leads maybe a little bit in my next question. Uh, you know, I'm not a person who is very comfortable speaking publicly, and I'm amazed that uh, when you're announcing, you sound so effortless, educational, and 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 entertaining. I guess how how do you do it? And you know, if you make a mistake in announcing, I think there's so many people out there who don't like public speaking, yeah. um, and this is a little like that. Like, how do you move past it? 
Well, you know, I actually, I get very nervous, actually, right before when it's a, a big event or if it's televised or there's a, a big stadium with a lot of people, I get quite nervous right before starting. Um, I think most most commentators and announcers probably do. Um, and, but I sort of like the feeling of being nervous. It doesn't doesn't bother me. Um, but if I make and I make plenty of mistakes, <laughs> I do. Uh-huh. You know, I just there are times when I I won't. There are times when it it maybe isn't appropriate to make the correction right in that moment because of of the way the event is progressing or whatever. But but if I make a a mistake. I just correct it, laugh at myself sometimes. And I've made some really <laughs> awkward mistakes, some funny slip of the tongue sometimes. Um, and you just move on. Doesn't It doesn't bother me. It used to bother me a lot uh, when I would do that. But now, you know, we're all only human and a mistake, mistakes happen even on you know, television, even when it's being live streamed, they still do happen. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's, that's, uh, that's great advice for, for so many walks of life, uh, different sure. things happening. Um, yeah. One other, um, thing is, you know, often in our sport, uh, people are so often focused on their own disciplines and you've had the opportunity, obviously hunter jumpers, Discipline is sort of your background, but eventing and dressage through announcing um, and, and your other roles, which we're going to get into. Um, I guess, what do you think of each of the, the different worlds and, you know, what can the different disciplines learn from each other? You know, I, um, a- as I mentioned, my very first experience, well, I, I had the sort of um, peripheral experience at Young Rider Championships with eventing, but my first experience with eventing was at Land Rover. Um, and so I've been lucky enough to see the very best in both eventing, of course, in show jumping. Um, I've seen all of it. You know, I've ridden, I, I, Competed professionally in, in as a show jumping rider for years. I was a trainer, um, so I've seen all levels in show jumping. But in eventing and dressage, I pretty much only have experience with the very, very top level of the sport, which is fantastic. You know, I see um, amazing competition, amazing horses and riders, uh, but. I I do feel like we could all benefit by learning a little bit more about each other's disciplines. I I think we all and I I know in in you know show jumping we t- tend to feel that the other disciplines maybe aren't you know eventing and and dressage I'm talking about uh, and particularly in eventing, I think quite a few show jumping uh, people tend to think that maybe eventing riders um, don't don't quite have the level of expertise that they do. Maybe they don't care for their horses the way show jumping horses are cared for. And I think that everybody, especially at the high levels of the sport, really does themselves a disservice if they don't learn just a little more about what they're, what the other disciplines are are doing, how they, why they do it, what they do. You know, you can learn a lot from, you can learn a lot, of, a show jumping person can learn a lot about conditioning. Obviously, we don't condition our show jumping horses in the same way um, but there's a lot of event horses that compete. My bomb, a great example. I think he's 17. I might mm-hmm. be wrong. <laughs> Don't want to quote me on that. I, I wouldn't be wrong if I were announcing it right now because I'd have it right <laughs> in front of me. But um, I think he's 17. Yep. Um, yep. And, you know, it's it, they're, they're incredibly physical athletes, more so than any other discipline, I think. And the 
the level of knowledge and expertise that eventing, that high level eventing writers have is unparalleled. They, and the treatment of their horses is just unbelievable how they care for their horses. I, I've never been so impressed. And and show jumping as well. I mean, show jumping riders, dressage, I'm not nearly as familiar with, but I'm sure um, the same level of care and quality of care goes into those. But um, I, I think I think we could all learn by by sharing uh, experience between the disciplines. And it's something that we tend not to do. I think we sort of event riders more than others, since they ride the three disciplines, they, you know, many event riders train with, um, both pure show jumping trainers and pure dressage trainers. So they get a little more crossover, but show jumping riders and dressage riders, I, I, I think tend to sort of silo themselves off and and think of their sport as the only sport. I'm making a rash generalization, of course, but I it's just the the observations that I've made over the years seeing all three of those dis- disciplines. Right, right. Very good, very good points. Um, moving on, you are obviously um, well, not obviously, but you're a licensed official in several capacities. Um, and as we're chatting, you know, last week you, you've actually you're moving more into you know the the different other roles uh, other than announcing. So I definitely want to chat about that. But um, you know, can you talk a little bit about you know your different roles? You're an FEI level three jumper judge, uh, an FEI level one steward. Well, you have your FEI Level 1 Steward License, your USEF Big R Jumper Judge, Certified Jumper Schooling Supervisor, and you're a clinician for USHDA Jumper Judges Clinic. So quite a few. Um, but, you know, for those, can you talk a little bit about um, what's involved with each and, and how you became involved? Sure. Well, I actually, I I started judging years ago um when i was very young before i while i was still a professional rider um many years ago and uh gave up my judge's license i had actually at that time which was kind of crazy because i i really rarely rode hunters i was a mm-hmm. professional I, I was an assistant uh trainer um for larry langer who uh my mentor, I should say, Larry Langer, who I have worked with and for for years. Uh, I was his assistant trainer and the assistant to his wife, actually. And they both encouraged me to get a judge's card at that time. It was when I was 19. I actually got a hunter judge's card, hunter and equitation. Shortly after that, I moved out of the country and couldn't keep up my license because I couldn't judge. I I lived out of the country for eight years and I didn't want to come back to judge and had. So I gave up that license, which was also a good thing because I don't know much about hunters. I I know a lot (laughs) about about them, but not enough to judge them. Um, Got it. Yep. (laughs) But as soon as I, I returned, I did, I was still a professional writer when I moved back here, but I um, right away decided that I, Wanted to get a little more experience in other areas and got my my um, jumper card. Uh, that was, I think, like 30, probably 35 years ago, something like that. Um, and did, qu- I, I think it's very important, and I'm probably going on too much about this. Let me know <laughs> if I am. No, but all interesting. <laughs> for For good show jumping announcers, it's, in my opinion, quite important to also be um, a judge. And most that I know are, I, I would have to say almost all, I, I can't, I'm sure there are some that aren't, and I'm sure they're good announcers also, but I can't actually think of any really top level um, show jumping announcers who are not judges. Hmm. Um, because the sport is very technical, it's hard to be able to explain, number one, to spectators uh, what's going on 
if you um, if you're not really clear on the rules and to be clear on the rules, you know, the, the, those who are most clear on the rules are judges. Um, just very quickly, a little aside to that is there was an incident. You'd have to be quite old to remember this, but at the World Cup finals in Del Mar, which I, I was assistant manager, assistant to Larry Langer for that those World Cup finals, there was an incident um, that anyone who was there would remember, but it involved a rider who crossed through a start line inadvertently and then had an issue with with now it being recorded as a starting. And she didn't want to leave the ring. Um, Tina Kassan was her name, and it was quite a big a big thing at the time. But it became a huge thing because the announcer, and he's a very good announcer, and I in no way would hold him responsible, but he was an eventing and dressage announcer, uh, much more familiar with those sports than with show jumping, and not really familiar with the show jumping rules. He wasn't able to explain well enough to the spectators what was going on. And in this particular scenario, she stayed in the ring for about 15 minutes. Um, oh. It was crazy. The, the stands, which were completely full, um, the people were yelling her name and chanting and stamping. It was wild. But the, the judging panel was very busy trying to figure out what to do and did not have time to explain to the announcer. And because he was not, and again, I, I want to say he, he is a very good announcer, right. but he wasn't that familiar with show jumping and wasn't able to explain clearly. So the crowd just went crazy. Um, yeah. Anyway, that it, it just sort of illustrates my point that I think show jumping, announcing and judging are tied very closely. And I think the, the, the best announcers uh, for show jumping are also uh, judges. Yeah. And that's a, like an, a really good point that I had never thought of, um, you know, just the education that's involved. Um, you know, you understand it as needing to be a jumper judge, but yeah, for an announcer, um, it, there's just so many different scenarios that could happen like the one you described at the world cup that you would never have thought would come up and exactly yeah. Wow. yeah and if you can't explain it and as i said it's not just explaining it to the spectators though that's very important especially now you know when things are live streamed so the announcing may be going out over the live stream and you want people who are watching to understand also what's going on but there are instances where very quickly you need to be able to let the competitor know something mm, that yeah. and if you are not, you know, really familiar with rules, you, you don't really have time because the, the ground jury or the judging panel, you know, are trying to take care of what they need to take care of. They may be discussing it. They may be, you know, and it happens very fast. So they don't have time to tell the announcer exactly what to say. So the announcer needs to be really um educated of course they do not make a decision you know without being certain that that the judges are on board with it but the judges need to be able to say really quickly look explain this and right. okay. if yeah. you don't have that kind of a background it's it's very difficult to explain quickly you know mm -hmm. and, and in a way that you're not going to get somebody to do something they shouldn't in the ring yeah. so it's yeah. just an important aspect i think yeah, definitely, definitely. And what, you know, uh, you've talked a little bit about it, but, you know, in your role as a jumper judge, what, 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 can you kind of sum up what a jumper judge does? I mean, I think we all sort of have an idea, but love to hear it from you. Well, you know, we obviously were scoring the class, you know, that's sort of the key part, scoring mm -hmm. and making sure that the rules are followed. And they're followed, you know, to me, and I, I always, uh, my husband and I give um, the USHGA Jumper Judges Clinics, along with David Disler, Ralph Alfano, Jenny Koenig, um, but my husband and I partner uh, when we do them. 
And we always really stress that what's so important, the scoring is important. You know, you have to know the rules. You have to know what you're doing uh, with scoring. You have to be able to react very quickly and to, to make sure that there's always a really even and fair playing field for everyone. You know, and I, I, I think that's one of the most important factors and, and something that um, when you're judging is so key that you treat everybody the same. Everybody has the, the, you know, your responsibility is to make sure they're scored fairly, correctly, that the rules are applied equally to everybody. Um, and, 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 and I also think the, the feeling of that we judges really want everybody to do really well. You know, that's why we do this because we love show jumping. We love the sport. Uh, we love horses and, and we want for us, I mean, I, I don't would not want everyone to be clear, It'd be pretty boring and you wouldn't want to keep competing. But we really want everyone to succeed and, and do well when they're in the, they're in the ring. And I, I, I worry sometimes that some judges, you know, maybe who are having a bad day or who've done it for so long, they're sick of it, whatever, that they sort of develop a little bit of a us against them. Oh, I'm going to show those writers. Oh, I'm going to, you know, and it, it really isn't that. It, it's key, I think, in judging that we all want a great outcome. That's why we do this. You know, that's, mm -hmm. that's the whole reason that we're involved. Yeah, that's a good point. I, you know, and and even I've, I've talked to like Jeff Teal in, in judging and he says very similarly, like we want the writers to do well. <laughs> that's, yeah. you know. That's why we're doing it, not because we want to penalize them or, um, yeah. So I think that is a really, exactly. really important part. Exactly. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And Jeff is, he's such a, a wonderful hunter judge, you know, and he's, and I, I, I don't know him really well, but I've, I know him and, and his, that level of experience, it's so great to hear that he, he feels that same thing. You know, it, mm -hmm. it really is. We, we want good sport. You know, that's why we all do this. We want good sport. We want a great outcome. And that's that's why we're here. Right, right. Absolutely. I think it is. Sorry, I, I didn't mean to interrupt. But one one final thing that I think is important about judging is also educating um, mm -hmm. competitors. You know, we, we talk about it in the clinics about if you if there's something complicated, a class that has complicated rules, you know, and there are. Um, that you you don't try to catch them like, oh, I know they're never going to understand this, so huh, we can eliminate them for that because they didn't understand what they were doing. You know, have a little writer meeting do before you start. Or if you don't do that, go down in the ring and make yourself available while they're walking in case anybody has questions about how it might be scored. You know, confusing classes, gambler's choice, or take your own line, or you know, rider, rotating rider relays or anything like that that you don't do frequently and that can be confusing, you know, educate them mm -hmm. and, and yeah. make sure they know what it is. And if somebody does something wrong when they're, they're in the ring, which does happen, and you have to eliminate them for it, you know, if they've done something quite wrong, I like to tell them exactly what it was. You know, I will frequently ask the person at the in gate, hey, have them come over here. Because mm. I want, even if it's something that that I'm angry that I'm not angry, I shouldn't say, but that they've done, you know, something that's really not allowed and they shouldn't have done. I have them come over and I explain, hey, look, this is what you did. Don't do it again. And this is why. Um, especially to young people, to professionals, not so much. I mean, if they've done something inadvertently, I might tell them, but to kids, um, you know, juniors and amateurs, you know, let them know. Sometimes they, they really don't know what they right. were doing, why they shouldn't do it. Right, right. Yeah. And that, you know, I think you've sort of answered that. But, you know, one of my questions is going to be, what are some things, you know, that you see in this role that that maybe you see often enough that um, that would help 
exhibitors, either be better exhibitors or, you know, um, yeah, I guess just be better exhibitors. Is there anything you see frequently? Yeah, well, you know, unfortunately, I think the the biggest is that they just don't know what the rules are. Mm-hmm. Um, and and our, our rules are not that complicated, but they do change frequently. You know, every year there's some some kind of rule change that will affect competition. And um, but even without them changing, just they need to familiarize themselves. The jumper section of the rule book is not very long uh, compared to the hunters and equitation. It's short. (laughs) (laughs) And, And they need to know what they're doing. You know, professionals need to be very familiar, explain to their their students, but it's not all on the professional. If you're going to be competing, you know, you're you can read, you should read the rule book and know what the rules are for the class that you're going in. Because a lot of people don't and they end up, you know, getting themselves eliminated or getting faults when they shouldn't um just because they don't know. They yeah. don't understand the rules. Yeah, that's really, really good advice. And very, everybody can do it too. Not hard. (laughs) Right, right. I will say I probably know more about um, eventing rules than most of the eventers do. Oh, wow. (laughs) That way. I I won't know. That's yeah, that's that's a really good point. I I I think it's probably something people overlook. You know, just assume they're gonna hear it from their trainer or do what everybody else is doing and hope for the best. Sure. And I in in that comment, I do I just want to be clear. Also, I don't mean that as a slam on eventers. I mean mm-hmm. it as a slam on everybody. Show jumping people. I know that I know more about the rules, but I should because mm, right. I'm a show jumping judge. I'm a clinician. I run horse shows. So I should know more about the rules in show jumping, but in eventing, I I do very little of it. So I really shouldn't know more than than all of them, but I do because I study it. Um, right. right. Across disciplines, people are not very good at making sure they know all the rules. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I think that's I think that's a really really great advice. Um, you know, I, I think it, it kind of just makes sense if you're going to participate. Then sure, yeah, just look it up. Look it up in the USEF rule book, and um, that, that's great, great advice. Yeah. Um, do you ever, as a licensed official, it just seems like there's a lot of pressure there. There's a lot of pressure uh, to get it right, to get decisions right. Do you ever get nervous, or um, yeah, how do you prepare for? Not, I, I wouldn't say nervous, really. Maybe a little bit. Um, there is, you know, the for all classes, you want to make sure you get it right. I mean, everybody deserves. They're all, you know, they're showing and they all, everybody in at any level deserves to have, uh, you know, someone knowledgeable and someone, you know, who know, who who will do the right thing in different instances. But but definitely in higher level, bigger, you know, really important classes, classes that are qualifying for, you know, World Cup finals, Olympic games, world championships, you know, when you're or or in those championships themselves, judging that I've, of course, never judged an Olympic games, but I have been on ground jury for World Cup finals. Um, and it's a big thing. You don't want to make a mistake. And so maybe not nervous as much as just really sort of heightened senses and being extra alert and, you know, just really wanting to make sure that you you do the right thing. And, you know, what we always tell people in in the clinics is judging. We get a lot of people who've never judged before. You know, they're just applying and this is their first first go round. You know, judging is really kind of 90, maybe almost 95 percent kind of boring. And then five percent of sheer panic because something crazy has happened 
And right in that moment, you have to figure it out, decide, you know, make make a decision that that could be, you know, you don't want it to be wrong. So it's, you know, you can get lulled into a sense of, oh, yeah, it's all easy. And all of a sudden, all heck breaks loose in the ring. We're like, oh, my gosh, what just happened? Right, right. Oh, gosh. Definitely. That's a good point. And then I'm nervous. Not so much. I I get much more nervous announcing uh, than I do judging. Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. And then, you know, you have your FEI level one steward license. What's, what's involved with that? And and how did you decide to get into that? Well, I don't really steward very much. I steward uh, probably once a year. It's not my, I, I enjoy it. It's not that I don't enjoy it, but, um, I prefer judging or announcing when I'm at a horse show then mainly because I like to watch the competition. Um, mm, I enjoy yeah. watching the warm up ring, which is a lot of stewarding. Um, but, um, you know, I like to watch horses and riders compete more than um, the rest of, of what's involved in stewarding though, though I do enjoy stewarding. Um, I, I just, it would, you know, people kept telling me we, we need a lot more FEI stewards that, a lot of stewards are required at FEI events. You know, you have to have at least five at every event, and there are a lot more FEI events in our country than there there were, and we're getting more every year. So I figured I might as well, just in case somebody, really I have it just in case somebody's in a bind and needs mm-hmm. an extra steward. Yeah. Um, I can do it. It's not um, not something that I you know, I don't really look for work as a steward. I, I keep it just in case, you know, somebody, I'm free and somebody needs someone that week. Otherwise, I, I don't really do much stewarding. Yeah. Um, one thing that it sounds like you do a lot of, and you'd mentioned um, you're a horse show manager, and uh, it sounds like you started early and and with Larry as your mentor so maybe can you just talk a little bit how did how did that evolve sure um Larry is how it evolved (laughs) um he he was actually my trainer at when I was my last uh junior year um then I worked for him and we became good friends. I've been friends with him. I was, you know, as I mentioned, I lived out of the country for a number of years. When I returned, um, he helped me sort of get settled. Uh, I got a couple of riding jobs, opened a barn for a short time, and then had the property got sold and all. And um, I was at a bit of a loss um, because I had been back here, I guess, like two and a half years, I think. And had opened my own barn and was going pretty well. Uh, but the property then got sold where I was housed. And I just thought, God, I can't, didn't want to go through that again of trying to figure out where to go. And I, and Larry said, well, you know, just, you can, there's always horses you can ride here. He was at based at the LA Equestrian Center at that time. You can ride, you know, here, but why don't you come and work for me, you know, doing horse shows? And so I started out working in the office and um, assisting who he had, his show secretary at that time. I assisted her. Um, and uh, that's how I started announcing as well. One day, um, one of the announcers couldn't show up, you know, had I, I can't remember now what happened, but he, he couldn't make it. Uh, Mike Moran, a, a wonderful announcer. And Larry said, I was in the office and he said, okay, go out there and, and announce. And I'm like, well, wait, what? And he said, yeah, it's, oh, it's fine. It's, it's jumpers. It's what, you know, you can do it. You know, it's your, you'll be fine. And I just liked it. I think he, I, I think as I remember, he was out actually for three days, the last three days or four days of the horse show. So I did the whole thing and everyone said, oh, wow, you have such a pretty voice. and." And you seem to like this and you're good at this. And I thought, eh, well, what the heck? (laughs) That's how I started also um, managing horse shows. 
I worked with Larry, you know, in the office doing all different aspects and um, just sort of eased into it. He was kind of easing out of being so hands-on as the manager. You know, he wanted to be at the horse shows, but he didn't want to be doing all the day-to-day management, the scheduling, et cetera. And he continued showing me how to, you know, how he did it and what to do and then sort of said, all right. There you go. I'll be here. You run the show. And oh, wow. so I just sort of eased into it that way and started running some of our shows in LA. Um, I did for a short time. I, I ran some of our Northern California horse shows also. And, but for many years I've, I've uh, run the horse shows that we put on at the Colorado horse park. Right. And what are some things, you know, obviously when, when we're showing, we know about the horse show managers, but like what all is involved with that, especially things people might not think about? Involved with horse show management? Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, there's a lot. I mean, I think everybody can, you know, sort of, you know, it's, it, it's from the hiring of all the officials from the deciding what what classes to offer you know of course there's the normal classes that there are some that you have to offer and then the normal classes that you always offer but deciding what will work better in in what area for for the demographic that you have at those particular horse shows you know the deciding how much prize money you want to offer um which which is an interesting thing to me anyway, you know, you can, you can pass what, what for me, I can go up to a certain amount of prize money. Everybody always says, oh, we want more prize money. Oh, we need more prize money. But sort of depending on the demographic and the area that you're in, if you go, well, fine, I'm going to offer tons of prize money. You actually sort of do a disservice almost to the people in your area because you may have been gearing the horse shows, not necessarily to just local competitors, but to a local group and offering too much prize money. You may, you know, entice a lot of other people to come that, yes, it's always great to have more people at your horse show, but is it the best thing for your base group of people to have all of them come. Um, mm. So a lot of the, there's, there's a lot involved, a lot of what you, you sort of want to think about when you're planning. And then of course there's, you know, the normal technical stuff, getting the footing that you need, getting the, the grounds the way you want them, making sure the stabling is all that you need. You know, now the, the biosecurity issues are, overriding and uh, I mean so 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 important and it it takes a lot of of logistical management to to do that correctly and to keep everybody horses and and competitors of course safe and healthy while they're at your event and yeah it seems like that the biosecurity would have added a whole nother level of of management really oh yeah i mean we um during covid we actually had a biosecurity consultant um mm-hmm. helping us and you know setting up all of our protocol and we were very lucky in colorado we were able to you know i i we didn't have to cancel too many of our horse shows um, and we're able to move forward. And because of the environment and the way the facilities laid out, we were able to hold, you know, safe horse shows for competitors. Um, but we had a, a biosecurity consultant um, work with us the whole year. Wow. To, wow. to make sure that we did everything as, as well as we could. And, and now I, I will, we, we sort of have the same now a horse biosecurity consultant. We're, really lucky. Um, The new owners of the Colorado Horse Park are a veterinary group. And so biosecurity is, you know, key to them, of course. And so Mm -hmm. I have built in biosecurity management. I mean, 
they're wonderful people as well, but great veterinarians and um, always, you know, on top of everything with us. You know, we implement it, but they, I get so much advice from Dr. Kelly Tischer, who is the, the principal um, and his whole group at Littleton Equine and Singletree Equestrian, which are the owners of the property. Um, they, you know, I feel so safe. I feel really lucky that we have them there on site and and helping with all our biosecurity protocols. Yeah, that's what a what a great thing to have. I mean, they obviously get it, get the whole importance of it more than oh, yeah. more than anyone. So, and and you know, and uh, sorry that my last little bit on this, but what you just said sort of made me think of it. It's it's difficult at at facilities if you don't own a facility and you you just are renting to put on your horse show or something. Facility owners don't necessarily understand a lot of that. And it can be very difficult. That it's a really hard part of horse show management, um, dealing with facility owners. Generally, not not because they want to be difficult, but they just may not understand everything that you need and 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 what they they could do to help you with it. But in our case, uh, now as of last year, we are so lucky to to no longer to not be in that position. um at the Colorado Horse Park it's it's just I mean I'm I feel so lucky because I have worked in a lot at a lot of facilities where it's it's really an uphill battle to keep things safe in good condition all of that safe for horses safe for riders it's it's hard at a lot of facilities but not for us (laughs) yes very very lucky (laughs) that's neat that's neat um, I guess a similar question to what I asked about the judges, you know, what are some things you see in your role as, as a show or show manager that would help exhibitors be better exhibitors? Well, I, I think the most, the, I, there's any number of things, you know, know what you're doing, read the prize list, be familiar with what our rules are. They're different than rules at other places, you know, and I get it. It's hard because Everybody ha- does things differently, but, you know, try to make sure that, you know, but, but really the, the biggest thing for me is if they have a problem or if something, they need to talk to me, you know, they don't, I, and a lot of, of competitors, a lot of exhibitors are hesitant to go directly to the horse show manager. You know, they may talk to the steward, they might talk to the person at the in gate, they might talk to the trainer in the, you know, the next aisle over with their grievances or their issues or a problem that they're having. Um, but really who they need to talk to, the best person to talk to is me. And mm-hmm. I try to make sure everyone knows that. And obviously I, I can't be available 24-7 to every single person, but there aren't that many huge issues. And I, if I don't know what's what's going on if I don't know that there's a problem or that people aren't happy with something or um, any number of things, I can't fix it. And end of the day, I'm really the one who needs to fix the problems. I being the manager, not just me personally, the manager of the horse show is the one who, uh, you know, it all ends there. So you're right. Right. Talk to the manager, you know, don't be afraid. Oh, I was afraid to come tell you, don't be, just, yeah. just do it. It's the best way to get anything taken care of. Go right to the person who can take care of it. Yeah, that's great advice because I think, like you said, most most of us are probably like, well, I don't want to bother you or I know you're really busy or just think of a oh, show manager as not being approachable. Right, and you're absolutely right. That is the thing. They always say, well, I really didn't want to bother you. I know you're busy, but you're not bothering. It's why mm-hmm. we're here. We are yeah. here to make the show work well for everybody. And and one less, I know I'm going on a lot, but one last thing that that's so key for, I think, for exhibitors to remember is even when you do come to me or when you do come to the manager, we can't, we won't necessarily make a change just because that's what you want. 
mm-hmm. um, will definitely listen and and take it into consideration. But what really people need to remember is that our job is to make the event the best it can be for the majority of the people who are there. And there will always be some people who don't think that the answer was the one they wanted, so it wasn't right, or don't think that, you know, this was going well, or this should have been scheduled that way, and this would have worked better another way. And we need to not do it just because it's better for one person. We have to look at what's best for the majority of those who are competing, you know, the safest, the best, the most comfortable, you know, the the schedule that works the best for the most people, even if it's terrible for one person, because that person can't get out of work until three. They think the class should go at four. So it's terrible. And the manager wrecked the whole show for them because they held the class at two. But actually, the other 20 people, it worked better for them at two, you know, and yeah. And, and that's, I think, important for everyone to remember that, right. that we do yeah. the best we can for the most people and the most horses. Yeah. Yeah. That's a good point. That's a good point. Um, you know, kind of wrapping up, getting towards the end, um, you're also very involved in sports governance. Um, I guess, you know, how did you become involved in that? Why do you think that's important? Um, well, again, that's Larry Langer. <laughs> he... <laughs> made me. <laughs> he, he said, you must, you know, you must be involved in governance. If you want things, you know, do not complain that you don't like this. You don't like, oh, the USEF just passed this crummy rule and I don't think it's right for the horse show. Or the USHJA just did this and I don't think that's right. He said, you you may not complain about all of that unless you are involved. And, and and making yourself part of the process. And so he sort of pushed me into it uh, to start with, Um, but it's something I really enjoy. I mean, it's probably takes more time now. I'm involved in in a lot of different um, areas of governance, but I think it's really important to, you know, be a part of the process, be a part of deciding how it should go and and you know looking out for our horses our people our horse shows our venues all of it you know i i i hope that my involvement helps with that and that that's what i why i do it yeah um as you mentioned you know uh governance of I think of anything is challenging you know trying and in this case trying to move the sports for you know our sports forward uh with what I'd imagine are strong personalities uh with various opinions I guess what's that like you know trying well, to get a consensus I guess well since my opinion is always the correct one I, it's not <laughs> <forward>. <laughs> there you go it's simple no, you are you're spot on that is the most difficult part you know forming a consensus. And I think being willing to compromise, um, we can't all get it done exactly the way we want it. And, you know, accepting that 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 will happen and that the end goal, we all want the same thing at the end of the day, all of us um, on a board or all of us on a committee you know, as long as we identify what we're trying to do, we will probably most of us will have different ideas on how to get there. Um, and just, you know, being able to, and I, you know, I, I will say I am not always the best at, at being, you know, I am very outspoken and I'm probably, you know, I can get kind of riled up when I feel very strongly about something, but I like to think that I I have learned to, you know, take a step back, okay, wait a minute, I'm going to listen to what everyone else is saying and not be so set and so sure that this is the way it has to go. And and as you as you said just a moment ago, um reaching a consensus on on the right way to move forward with something or the right direction to go. Uh, is key 
and and the only way that you can get anything done, I think. Yeah. And is there or are there any particular achievements that you've been part of in governance that stand out to you or that you're proud of? Uh, one one thing that I I worked on very hard, starting with David O'Connor a number of years ago. He was the, it was when he was still president of the USEF and Bill Maroney was president of USHJA. And they put to get it uh, at David's encouraging. He put together really a group to create a oh, I don't even remember what we were called. It was a competition standards. Um, I don't know if we were a task force or what we were. Uh, I, I don't even remember. It was quite a long time ago. But to a group to to get together and start to put together standards for facilities, standards for, mainly for facilities and standards for how competitions should be run. Um because there was nothing at that point. Mm. There was nothing anywhere that said, you know, a stall should be this size or I mean nothing. Or if you're going to have 500 horses, you must have X number of wash racks. You must have light. I mean, there were a few things. I shouldn't say there was nothing. There were there were a few rules about lighting and and I don't even remember now. But anyway, the the formation of of competition standards, I think is that's I think the biggest project that I I worked at from the outset. I'm still on. I mm -hmm. chaired the USHGA Competition Standards Committee for a number of years. I'm still on that committee, um, but uh, that was it was a huge project that we worked on over a number of years, um, and it's still. You know, it, it still is being changed and adjusted and tweaked as as need be. But I, I think that's that's one of the biggest things that yeah. there was something that I'm very proud of. I had because I, I worked very hard with a lot of other people, um, but on that for for a number of years. Yeah, that's that's really that's really cool because that's again another thing most people probably don't think about how how standards are set or why they were set and they just enjoy the benefits of of that right 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 exactly right um you know and lastly just to wrap it up uh, kind of a fun question um what advice would you give your younger self <laughs> um well, Especially you having done so, you know, doing so many things, so many different things, which I think is really, really cool. I probably would have have, I oh, and it's going to sound very cliche because I think it's what a lot of people think, especially when you're at an advanced age like mine. Um, <laughs> but, you know, don't be so, I, I would have told myself then, you know, slow down. <laughs> Do not be so quick to want, you know, everything to happen and to get better faster and to, you know, show a bigger horse shows faster and to have better horses, you know, just take it easy. It will all come. You can just relax, you know, try not to. I, I was pretty driven. Um, mm -hmm. I still am, but more so when I was very young and I, I didn't take a lot of time to, to really enjoy the moment. I was just so driven on doing better and going somewhere and getting this done. I maybe didn't, I mean, I enjoy, I, I really enjoyed everything I did, but I could have sat back a little bit when I was younger. I think. Yeah. Yeah. Though, you know, I, I one thing I, I do just want to say is I, I think I am luckier than, than so many people to not only get to do what I love to do and be involved, you know, in this sport, which I love, but I get to do so many different things that it, it does. I mean, and, and they're difficult. And sometimes of course I hate doing some of them, you know, there are days when I'm like, Oh my God, I do not want to do this right now. <laughs> but I get to do different things all the time. I, you know, I, if I had to only manage horse shows, you know, 40 weeks a year, I'd 
go crazy or mm. if I had to only judge horse shows 40 weeks a year or however many. I mean, I know judges who judge almost every single week. I I couldn't stand it. Or if I had to announce, and I know announcers who do that, who might do 35 or 40 weeks a year. I just, I couldn't do it. I, you know, I don't think I would continue to enjoy it. So I'm just so lucky that I get to do all of them. And mm -hmm. I don't really get tired of any of them. Yeah. Well, that's what I, I just find fascinating about you, you know, that you've sort of been able to piece together, you know, similar but different different roles, you know, in, in our sport. And um, I just, yeah, I just think that's really neat. Well, it's fun. I'm lucky to get to do it. Privileged <laughs> to get to do yeah. it, honestly. And I've had a lot of, of great people who have who have taught me. Larry Langer, of course, um, stands out, but a lot of others who have helped me um, with the judging, with the announcing, with all of it, you know, that and and with the writing. When I when I still wrote, I had amazing people helping me there as well. And so I just I'm lucky. I guess lucky person. <laughs> lucky person. But I guess what's the saying, you know, you also create your own luck. And it sounds like you've done that too, being open to different things and trying different things for sure. So sure. Oh, very cool. <laughs> well, thank you so much, Charlotte. This has been a really interesting conversation. And um yeah, I'm I'm just so happy we're able to get together. Thank you, Sandy. It's been really fun. I appreciate you. Thanks for listening to this week's conversation with Charlotte Skinner-Robson. And a big thank you to the episode sponsor, Purina Animal Nutrition. You can subscribe to the Practical Horseman podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you listen. While you're there, please rate and review the show. Also, tune into our mini-sode series, The Fod Pod, where you'll hear audio lessons from our favorite Equestrian Plus video clips. When you tune into the FOD pod, listen close for a promo code for 15% off your Equestrian Plus subscription. Thanks again for joining us. I'm Sandy Olenek, and you've been listening to the Practical Horseman podcast. <laughs>